Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined by Bruce Feldman. The morning after LSU's national championship victory over Clemson, um, we are still here in New Orleans. Bruce, uh, what what do you think will be your lasting image of the game? You know, I don't I don't know. I mean, because there was a lot of thoughts that were going through my head just seeing early on. If I like when Stu was sitting next to me in the in the uh, in the press box, it felt like for the first couple of drives, where not not much was going on, but then uh, uh, Clemson had LSU backed up in their own territory, a lot of zero blitzing. They they definitely, I think Brent Venables had the LSU offense on its heels, and then Clemson started to go a little bit, and then Clemson hit some big plays, and I don't know, at one point it was seventeen seven or or something along the lines of that. And I. I I think our colleague Ari Wasserman put out something that was like, who covers Ohio State, as if... It's it's unclear. Uh, we all know Ari. It's unclear whether this was just a blatant troll job or not. He said after watching... It was early in the game when he said, watching these two teams, I'm realizing... No, but there was two, tw- two tweets. It was another one that was a reference to, well, LSU, like, they were fortunate that they got Oklahoma because they wouldn't have gotten through. You know, it was like, here comes yeah. the blowout from Clemson. We saw this movie last year against Alabama. I just remember thinking, all right, this offense is going to get going. What I didn't really expect, Stu, was Trevor Lawrence, as, as talented and as, as gifted as he is, looked more like a freshman last night or, you know, on Monday night than he did last year against Alabama when he actually was a true freshman. And so to see that, um, you know, it was just like, whoa, here it comes. It was like an avalanche. And it felt like, and, and this is where I was going with that, it felt like when we were sitting there watching, it was like, all right, Clemson feels like they hadn't dominated the first half, the you know the first half, but at one point it was like they had controlled the first half, and all of a sudden now they're down by one, and now they're now they're like in a deep hole, and and LSU's getting the ball back, and it was just like just felt like this thing was like destined to happen. Yeah, as I went in the LSU locker room and then went back up and wrote, sat to, sat down to write, it, it felt like just it was yet another game where Joe Burrow dominated and. And it was yet another LSU blowout. And then as I kind of looked back in my notes, you realize, gosh, I can hardly remember it now. But uh, this was 20. The game was uh, 28 to 25 early in the third quarter after Clemson scored a touchdown. Then Clemson held LSU and gets the ball back with a chance to take the lead. And I say that because by the time the game was over, you would never remember it was that close uh, because we saw yet another. Uh, sterling performance from Burrow. Jamar Chase was unstoppable. Um, you know, I wrote primarily about Burrow in my column from the game because I think what we just witnessed was, without question, the greatest season a college quarterback has ever had. And 
to the point where, you know, you and I have had podcasts in the past where we talked about, we debated, you know, Cam Newton's amazing season, Vince Young's amazing season, where they ranked in the, in the, um, where they ranked as players, right? Among all time, great college players. Joe Burrow, much like Cam Newton is going to remember for just this one season, but, uh, he, he threw 60 touchdowns, 60. 60 touchdowns, six interceptions. And so just to put that in perspective, that great, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, that great Vince Young season, he had 38, he accounted for 38 rushing and passing touchdowns. Tommy Frazier, 95 Nebraska. I know that was a different era. He accounted for about 2,000 yards of total offense. Burrow, when you put in his rushing, 6,000 yards of offense. And they did it against a schedule that was so tough that when the final AP poll came out uh, late Monday night, LSU had beaten five of the top eight teams in it, which we're pretty sure has never been done before. It was, uh, and 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 all through, and by the end, you know, we're talking about things here that was seen, that if you had told me what in August that this would happen, I would say that's impossible. And yet he made it look so easy in these games that it certainly didn't seem impossible while you're watching it. It just seemed like, oh, okay. Yet another game where the other defense, the other DBs can't stop these receivers and Burrow's making all the right throws. Yeah, it's interesting. I spent a lot of the, the three days down here in New Orleans in, uh, inside with LSU and a lot of meetings. And what it just comes back to is, hey, we got number nine. It was like in their eyes, I'm not talking about like any NFL personnel person or anything like that, but in their eyes, Joe Burrow was so much better than any other quarterback in the country because of how he operated this system, how poised he is, how accurate, how great he is off off script when the defense does something. Um, I don't know why I'm why I feel compelled to touch on this, but you know, obviously you and I have had this back and forth over like the last probably five years about Cam Newton, what he was. The one thing I would say, Cam Newton had nobody around him. You know, the 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 only thing close to him as an NFL prospect, even remotely, was Nick Fairley on the other side of the ball. Uh, Joe Burrow had Jamar Chase went wild last night. He actually had three drop passes. Well, AJ Terrell is considered to be a really good cornerback, and and the poor guy gave up two fifty plus yard catches to Chase in the first half. They eventually had to switch to a, to a, trying trying a different uh, DB on him. Well, I think what what you were saying, I totally agree with the the greatest uh, offensive scene, season we've seen from a from a college quarterback, but. I would ask you this, and I haven't done enough, you know, like research on it. You know, the, the, their body of work as a team matches up with anybody, right? And they've, they've we beaten some really good teams by double digits. Now, to me, and I, I would argue that the Miami, Ed Reed, that team is the most talented team. What I do think is, and I don't, like, this team isn't loaded with the level of, I think, ridiculously future Hall of Fame kind of Pro Bowl guys. I mean, it, it, we'll see. I mean, obviously, the gap between Ken Dorsey, who's a really good college quarterback, and Joe Burrow is significant. But I would ask you, is this the greatest offense you've ever seen in college? Yes, this was the greatest offense in college football. I was thinking, trying to think of comparisons. And to, to what you said, we've seen a lot of great offenses that – like, for instance, the Chip Kelly Oregon offenses that took college football by storm and at a time seemed unstoppable. Uh, you know, Darren Thomas was the quarterback, right? It wasn't a guy who was going to be the number one pick in the draft. Um, you know, maybe you think about some of these Oklahoma offenses recently, certainly the ones with Baker Mayfield, 
uh, Kyler Murray season, those offenses were prolific. But in both cases, they eventually ran into a team that was more talented than them and was able to at least neutralize it. LSU, I think, and, and Ed Ogeron has said it, and I think it's true what we saw this season was just the perfect storm and the perfect combination of the quarterback, the offense that Joe Brady brought in, the play calling by Steve Ensminger, and just this insane set of receivers and also Clyde, you know, who you were right about. Oh, my gosh, that guy's unbelievable. <laughs> they couldn't tackle him last night. Uh, just every everything that needed to line up, lined up. I think the thing was that, you know, like not to go too big on Clyde there, because his numbers aren't like – Chase put the ridiculous numbers up. But I think the element of having – like it is the pick your poison where somebody's going to go like, all right, we got to worry about 22 more. And then all of a sudden one who won the, won the, the Bolitnikoff award, you know, he was a, considered the greatest receiver in college football as a true sophomore. I, I just think it was like, and then Thaddeus Moss gets two touchdown. You know, it's just, that was the kind of flurry that I think that they're just capable of. And I, you know, like, I don't know. I don't want to even bring up Ohio state here, but I was like, it did not feel to me as impressive as Clemson was last year and as, in, as impressive as we thought they were and Davos Sweeney talking about the lack of respect it felt like all season, to me, there was no doubt who was the better team after watching that last night. Yeah, we talked all season long about how there were three teams that separated themselves, but I think at the end of the day, you had one just unbelievable his, all-time historic team and then two teams that in most seasons would be the best team in the country. There have been plenty of seasons where there was not a team as good as any of those three teams. You had three of them this year. And even even after that, you could say, okay, then there was a pretty big drop-off to Oklahoma, uh, Georgia, et cetera. But, you know, obviously the Alabama team that, that LSU beat, uh, it, it, you know, it, it kind of fell apart for them at the end of the season. But that's an extremely talented team they beat as well. So I'm pretty confident in saying that nobody has put together this impressive of a season in terms of who they beat. I, I'm very confident saying it's the greatest offense we've ever seen. People were throwing out, okay, is this the best team of all time? And I think you hinted at it. That's something that ultimately, and it, you know, you should say, oh, it should only be based on college. It shouldn't, NFL shouldn't come into it. Well, when you think of greatest team of all time, like the reason we hold up 2001 Miami is not because if you look at their schedule, you wouldn't say like, oh, these guys survived and they beat a murderer's row. or they, it's, it's, We just talk about it that way because so many of those guys ended up being all pros. They were just, there's no doubt about it. That was one of the most loaded teams you've ever seen. And I think we won't fully know that about LSU for a few years. But I can certainly say they had the greatest season in college football history. It's also hard to compare. Like, I looked up Miami 2001. They only played 12 games. They played an 11-game regular season and the national title game. Now we're in a sport where you play 15 games. And so that's why LSU, you know, has able, that's how you're able to rack up, uh, you know, to, to have beaten, yeah, the Big 12 champion and the ACC champion. You know, so many intersectional opponents texas um and so i mean that's obviously harder what lsu did was harder to pull off but who knows if 2001 miami had been in a playoff and a conference championship game um how they would have done i think it's going to be very interesting you know i mean i already did my early top 25 it's the usual suspects up there clemson being number one this is a this lsu team is gonna be really interesting to see where they go from here because obviously you know, they've always recruited very well. They're one of those, they're one of my, you know, 12 or 13 programs that have the pieces in place to do it. But because of everything I just said before about all the pieces lining up this year, it's going to be really fascinating to see what happens without Joe Burrow. 
I, we assume a lot of those, as many, I think I said as many as nine guys could turn pro. Chase will be back. He's a sophomore. The really interesting piece here as we move on is what happens a little bit with the staff. Joe Brady, I mean, there's definitely something substantive to the speculation that he will leave to go be an NFL offense coordinator. I think that interest is real on both parts. At the end of the day, and look, this this may go the other way, but I think he's... From, from the people I know who are pretty close to him, think he wants to be in the NFL and wants to be an NFL head coach at some point. And I think that's probably more appealing to him. He's going to have opportunity. He's never going to be hotter than he is right now, his stock. Now, look, as you said, Steve Ensminger had a huge role in this. There's a lot of other guys on the offensive staff who've had a huge role. And it's not just the Saints offense. There's the Saints passing game, and there's a lot of other stuff added in. So we'll see what happens. Uh you know, my hunch is he probably is going to the NFL as an offensive coordinator. I don't think it has anything to do with money, but he's going to get paid well. But he was going to get paid well uh, if he stayed at LSU. But we'll, you know, we'll see how this is going to play out. But it, the other thing that was interesting is in the middle of the game, De'Ara King, Houston quarterback, announces he is in the portal. And he's talented. Now, he's not Joe Burrow, but who is? He's a short quarterback with a pretty good arm and can run. And... Who knows if there's going to be a grad transfer goes to LSU. I'm going to be interested to see where this is headed for them because in your, you know, something that you put out on The Athletic, I guess first thing Tuesday morning was your too early top 25 where there's a lot of underclassmen who can still declare. You have LSU 5, and I wouldn't argue with that. I mean, right now when you lose, when you lose Joe Burrow, much less some of these other really good players – there's going to be a lot to replace, and we'll see what the team looks like going forward. Back to the pod in just a minute. I want to tell you about Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla, for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to theaudible.robinhood.com. That's theaudible.robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not an investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yields on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. Now back to the podcast. I think that that was a, basically a placeholder. I, I think LSU's stock could could change wildly based on who leaves, and certainly Joe Brady. I mean, if Joe Brady leaves after one year, uh, there's going to be people who think, okay, that was fun while it lasted, but now LSU's going to go back in the wrong direction. I think uh, it's really, you know, like, look, I, I think, as you said, perfect storm. It's Joe Burrow that's going to be the hardest thing to yeah. replace. I mean, keep in mind, like, this offense that they, they've kind of all cooked up was a lot of pieces and a lot of people involved and some people that – some some guys that most people don't know their names even on, on the staff. So I think it's more of a concern of how do you replace the greatest player in your school history who operated at a ridiculously high level, but there's still going to be a lot of talent. they got a, the nation's top tight end recruit who's already there, Eric Gilbert, to go with, as you said, Chase – um, and Terrace Marshall and a bunch of other guys. So, um, you know, this was a magical year for them. We, you know, I wouldn't expect them to, to, to be able to just 
not hit a, hit a few bumps at this point going forward, but we'll see. You spent so much time inside this program um, recently. In fact, I have to say it was kind of funny to watch the game next to you because you were call- he was calling out play. Like when they lined up, I think at the three-yard line, um, first and or for, I don't know if it was first and goal, whatever and goal it was, and as soon as they got in the formation, you go, oh, this is going to be a Burrow run. And sure enough, Burrow run for the touchdown. Like I felt like I was sitting next to Tony Romo. Yeah, I wouldn't give myself that much credit. I had some of the answers to the test. There was one play I kept on waiting for them to run. They never did. It was a a trick play, and they don't run a lot of trick plays. So that never happened. But it's fascinating to see all the pieces kind of moving and coming together. The biggest thing, and I I had this in that story. Like, we'll have a story um, I got coming up, hopefully, first thing tomorrow, or hopefully by the time this podcast goes up. But – it's how much confidence they have. It is unlike anything I've seen. Now, I can't tell you. I mean, I was covering college football. I don't remember. I wasn't that close to the Miami team of, you know, whatever it was almost 20 years ago. But this team, the way they are on the field, I've, at least I can't remember anything like it. You know, I'd be curious as to what Leinert and Reggie Bush's team kind of had going when it was. And I think so much of it is because when you sit there and go, our offense is just better than everybody else what that does and that's the maybe the I don't know I, I don't even know I don't remember if you said them but you had uh you know just some just a, a ridiculous amount of weapons and how they operated it was just very poised now they didn't beat the kind of teams that as you mentioned LSU did so um I think it's just the confidence they have it's just how loose they are that's the part that I will probably remember most about the team in terms of Clemson, uh, you, you know, you, what you said earlier is true. Early in the game, they looked good. They, they clearly came out with a plan on offense, and it was working. Uh, but by the end of the game, Trevor Lawrence had completed less than 50% of his passes. There was a stat that um, ESPN Sports and Info put out there that he had. I don't remember exact number, but he had more overthrows by the end of the night than a quarterback had had, than all but one quarterback had had in a game all season in college football. Clearly, you know, it's always hard to say how much is as LSU was doing. Were receivers not in the right place? We don't know. But at the end of the day, he had a really bad game. And that being said, Clemson might wasn't even a hard decision for them to be preseason number one going into next year. He's back. Justin Ross is back. Um, I assume Travis Etienne will turn pro, but you've seen Lynn J. Dixon. They're still loaded. And they also have three five-star defensive linemen coming in. That To me, just from listening to LSU, that was the biggest uh, thing on the scouting side that was kind of eye-opening. Because they've recruited five-star defensive ends and edge rushers who are there who, quite honestly, have not been as advertised right. or as hyped at this point. But they do have three five-star big dudes coming in. You know, that was there was a huge drop-off for them last year, from, from last year to this year up front. And... I mean, I'm with you. I mean, I, I see you have Clemson one and Ohio State two. I think those are those are really safe picks to be there. Well, I think you know, we talked during the season. I remember getting the question several times in mailbag form. You know, is Clemson not is not getting tested going to eventually catch up to Clemson? And I thought it might. I think you know, I was I had them at the Fiesta Bowl too, and in both places, Brent Venables all but said like, 
like all but hinted that, yeah, we're not as good as, as people think we are on defense, that he was skeptical coming into the season that they could play at this level. Statistically, they did. They had the number one defense in the country coming into the game. But they were playing a lot of mediocre quarterbacks on offense. Yeah, they were playing in, I, I, I believe analytically, it's considered the worst Power 5 conference of the BCS or CFP era. So it was once you got to this game, it was almost like, yeah, okay, LSU has a big advantage here because Tanner Muse got lit up in the ACC title game, and you saw what happened with AJ Terrell. Like they just didn't have the bodies to compete again. They, to their credit, they did beat a really good Ohio State team. But uh, that's if if the if your if your down year on defense is you still dominated everybody you played until the fi- final game of the season defensively. Um, that's pretty good. What I'm a little worried about is, as you know. We are a uh, culture of overreaction, especially in college football. All we've been hearing for two years is he never lost a game. Trevor Lawrence, sure to be number one pick next year, blah, blah, blah. Are people going to overreact to this bad performance now because they have eight months to talk about it? That, okay, maybe he's overrated. or Maybe he's not exactly what we thought. He wasn't playing good enough teams. You know, I'm sure there'll be some of that. I mean, that's just, you know, kind of like what, what the – the media cycle is it gives them something to talk about and, you know uh, I, I think there's enough time for people to kind of parse everything about that and where it's going to be and and what we think of it it's just like you know sometimes in last year he was at his best in the big title in the title game this year not so much I mean there was a stat I found late yesterday uh, late last night at the game where in the three postseason games Joe Burrow had 17 touchdowns, zero picks, right? Okay, that's obviously great. But the part that was like a wow thing to me was the other three quarterbacks, and these are really good quarterbacks, Jake Fromm from Georgia, Jalen Hurts from Oklahoma, and Trevor Lawrence combined one touchdown pass, three picks. You know, it's like, he's like, these are all all American. I mean, going into this year, you know, everybody thought Trevor Lawrence got to be the first pick in the draft, you know, a year from now. Some people were saying, and I decided to agree with, but that Jake Fromm was a top ten pick. Obviously, Jalen Hurts put up ridiculous numbers, albeit you know in the Big Twelve, and certainly he was a former SEC Player of the Year as a freshman. And just to see, you know, to bring it back on LSU for just a second, you know, a lot of people were like, "Well, no one's ever had statistically a defense outside the top thirty and win a," you know, it was like they couldn't do it. And I think you got to give a lot of credit to them because they were able to. Not dominate, but they were able to do more than enough, I think, to, to really, and you know, they deserve credit for that. I don't think this is necessarily all a, a, a you know, Trevor Lawrence stinks kind of thing. Yeah. Obviously. Well, I mean, I think Dave Aranda, you know, you might have had the two best defensive coordinators in the sport in that game. Dave Aranda certainly has had a great reputation. They did struggle at times this season, but then they figured things out and played their best in the biggest games down the stretch. Um, I also got to see you. Break news from the sideline of the national title game in the fourth quarter, uh, which was was really something. It was a frantic moment. So Stu and I are going down. You're allowed to go down to the field. You're allowed to go on the field. Five minutes left of the game. So we're already down there because it's like the the Superdome is a little bit challenging to navigate around. Um, So we're down there. I got a tip that Nick Rolovich is going to be the next head coach at Washington State. And now I've got to try to confirm it. And as we're doing this, like, this is not optimum timing because I'm, like, trying to text a bunch of people and make some calls, and I'm trying to get it out at first, and, but I, obviously I want it to be accurate or else I'm not going to go with it. 
Then I get the confirmation I need, and now I'm like, crap, I can't get this tweet to go through. Yeah, the stadium. Because the stadium Wi-Fi is spotty, and there's all these people who are now taking probably, because they know LSU is winning the title, and you have all these people who are on their on their smartphones. And I was like, oh, hurry up. And so it's I'm just watching the Twitter thing go like halfway through. I'm sitting there holding it up to the sky and trying to that's gonna, like as if my you know the added twelve inches of my arm above my head is going to help it go through. I'm swinging the phone around and finally it went through. Uh, I think that's a good hire for Washington State. I like Nick Rolovich a lot. Hawaii is a tough job, you know, and uh, they made the champ- conference championship game this year. Um, I think that after whatever it was eight years of Leach. You want another guy who's probably going to be able to produce exciting offenses. So, um, you know, I think the Pac-12 right now is under still under a lot of pressure to. As I did this early top twenty-five, honestly, it's hard to find a lot of teams to put in there from there. So, uh, you know, Washington State was on a nice run. Then they had this down season this past year. It'll be interesting to see what he can do. I think um, he's good for two big reasons. One, as you said, that's a really tough job. Doesn't have much resources. He did really well. Actually, I'm going to say three things. Two, he is a great evaluator of talent, just knowing this from talking to people. He was the first guy to offer Keaton Slovis. He was the first guy to offer Justin Herbert. He was the second guy to offer Sam Darnold. I mean, that's significant to be the first one in the boat on those guys. And then the third part of this is the leech piece of this. He is the most like leech of any sitting head coach with the possible exception of Dana, right? And Dana came from him. Like, Rolovich is is silly, goofy, he's funny. I think he's very smart. He will have some shtick. Yeah, that's for sure. You know, anybody who's, you know, he does that. He's he's really entertaining. And I think he will keep the identity. It'll be a different identity, but slightly, um, in, in Pullman. And I think that makes that, will help make that place stay relevant. And I think people are going to, I think, people are going to really be interested to, to see him kind of get on a bigger stage. If you want a little taste of his personality, I mean, first of all, he was the guy who would show up at Mountain West Media Days every year with an Elvis impersonator or something, you know, I think maybe a Britney Spears impersonator one year. Also, if there's any Washington State fans listening, go find on The Athletic, do a little Google search. Dave Southorn, our Boise State writer, had the story when Hawaii played at Boise the first time this year. I guess Nick Rolovich had been in an off-and-on exchange with the fake Brian Harson Twitter account throughout the years. And after their game at like 1 in the morning, he went to the guy's house to meet him, the guy behind the fake Twitter account. So I think you're right. It's, it's, uh, there's, you're still going to have a lot of fun with your head coach there. All right, you had a chance to look at the top 25. I, I got to say, the, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back here. I just think the way the season shook out, my early top 25 last year was basically – like eight of the top nine teams in the in the early one that was put out this day a year ago finished in the top nine. Where did you have LSU last year? Uh, like sixth. The hardest part of doing early top twenty five these days is as the lower you get, right? The top is just like taking the same usual suspects and shuffling them around a little bit. Yeah. So I had to do a top ten, early top ten for Fox for our college playoff preview show. And as I'm looking at it, we have most of the same suspects in there. We both had Oklahoma 9. Uh, you know, top 5 is similar. I think I had Florida 7. Penn State, you have 6. I think I had there somewhere around there. I had Oregon number 5. You have Oregon number 8. That's not that significant difference. The thing with Oregon is we just don't know who their quarterback's going to be. Right. I think it. I, I, my guess is it'll be Tyler Shuck, who they're pretty high on. 
Um, you have Notre Dame 10. I see it. You have Wisconsin 11. I actually had, and I didn't include it because they only needed 10 teams. I was toying with the idea of having Minnesota in the top mm-hmm. 10. Now, maybe that's too much Rashad Bateman in the brain and the way I saw Tanner Morgan play, but there was that. Um, where it gets interesting to me mostly is you have Iowa 13, which I feel like that might have been a little lower than you were initially. You had him maybe in an early draft or somebody else I know was trying to tell me that Iowa um, You might have seen I was just moving teams around. Because you know what it was, so Notre I'm actually I think Notre Dame could be really good, and they're number ten, and it was after Notre Dame where it got to be like okay I'm not sure who, who uh, there's a drop off at that point right so, uh, in fact I have to thank Chuba Hubbard he made his decision to come back to Oklahoma State he announced it like two hours before the national championship game, uh, I didn't know necessarily which way that was going to go, so once he did and I looked at Oklahoma State I was like huh. This should not be a low top 25 team like I initially thought. Back to the podcast in a second. We talk about physical fitness a lot, but there's another side of the game that's just as important. Talking about mental fitness. Calm, the number one app for sleep and meditation, has teamed up with LeBron James to help you train your mind. LeBron and Calm know that your mind is like any other muscle in your body. And Calm can help you train your brain so you sleep better, have less stress, and perform at your best. And if you head to calm.com slash audible, you'll get 40% off a Calm premium membership. For a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron in using Calm with a 40% discount to an annual membership at calm.com slash audible. Unlock content to help you focus, ease stress, and sleep better. Get started at calm.com slash audible. That's calm.com slash audible. We did the Bedlam game, so I have a lot on Oklahoma State. So obviously, Tylen Wallace, tremendous receiver, also coming back. When we did their game, they thought their defense was going to be really good next year, especially in the secondary. They were really high on them. Uh, Eamon Ongbong-Bamiga, I have to say his name just because I had to learn it. Um, really good, <laughs> productive linebacker in the you know makes a lot of plays, and so they're an interesting team. I, I I'm glad you had them up there. I wouldn't. I, I don't know if I would have thought to have them if I had to do, you know, I wasn't thinking of them in the top 10, but at that point I thought Chuba was leaving. And so that's a big plus. Spencer Sanders, they think is, you know, a talented dual threat guy. Um, the one that caught my eye, and I'm not disagreeing with because they should be really, really good on the offensive line. That's a good starting point. Is the Tennessee Vols. Mm-hmm. Number 19. I wouldn't disagree with it. I mean, like I said, they're going to be really good on the, on the offensive line. Um, what if 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 you're a Tennessee Vols fan? What would you be most um, not concerned with? What would you be like? Okay, you looked at this team now. The difference between being a team that can compete with Georgia and Florida, or just being one of those other teams in the in the SEC East. Well, I think Tennessee. And by the way, uh, they won six games in a row to end the season, which means they have the third longest winning streak in the country right now, behind LSU and Air Force. Uh, they they despite being very young on defense, ended up being really good on defense by the end of the season. So you got to be really excited if you're a Tennessee fan to see most of those guys coming back. Uh, Some of them, even some of your better players were freshmen. You know, the thing with Tennessee that's been a problem since Pruitt got there and will continue to be a problem is he just has no confidence in his quarterbacks. He's almost, they're trying to win in spite of them. And I think if that continues to be the case, it's hard to group them with Florida, Georgia, who I think are, legit top 10 teams. We'll see about Jamie Newman, but I do think he has a chance to have a really big impact there. 
But, uh, you know, I assumed I'd have him low top 25. I didn't necessarily know I'd have him 19, but uh, there's a lot. This will be an important year for Pruitt. Uh, you know, I think we knew there'd be a rebuilding job. Now, when you say important year, though, you shouldn't say it's like it's a hot seat year. I no, mean, I think it, yeah. this is the year where you find out if he has what it takes to be the next Kirby Smart because this was a big rebuilding job. And early in the, I mean, early in the season, I think we were talking about him possibly being fired in the middle of the season. Now he comes out of it eight and five, a nice bowl win. Uh, is next year the year where they take the mix to step up and actually compete in that division? Um, once you get to the bottom of the early top twenty-five, there's not much difference between those last few teams and the five or so that I didn't consider. You know, was actually the most unique one I had to deal with was Baylor. I don't think I've ever in my time doing this had to deal with the fact that one of the, the contenders doesn't have a coach right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I checked with Max Olson, who covered Baylor a lot, obviously, this season. And I said, Max, I think I'm leaning toward having them out of the top 25 entirely, even though they just won 11 games. Is that crazy? And he said, no, that's not crazy. They, that probably is the case. They lose most of that defense. James Lynch, is big-time defensive yeah. lineman, is leaving early for the NFL. That adds to it. And obviously – Staff transition. We'll see. We don't know it yet at this point. I don't. My, my hunch is we would find out till probably Thursday what what Baylor's going to do for its new head coach. So I, I wouldn't disagree with you either. And then another really interesting one is Arizona State. Uh, that was a huge win over Oregon late in the season. Gave people a lot of reason to be back on the Herm Edwards bandwagon. And Jaden Daniels is the biggest reason for that. He he was great uh, as a freshman quarterback. But they lose Eno Benjamin, uh, who was so important to them as uh, their running back. Um, their offensive line is not very good this year. They have two new coordinators. Do you think, I mean, I think in the Pac-12, I think this, you know, this coming year, Utah's starting over basically. I mean, they lose everybody from that team. We do think USC has a chance to be pretty good. But outside of Oregon and then maybe USC, I feel like there's a bunch of those teams, and I have Cal as well sneaking in there, that could that could go in the in the right direction, or could be you know another seven and five kind of season. Yeah, I like that you had Cal in the top twenty five. We had them in the Red Box Bowl, and every player who scored touchdowns, and I think they had thirty five points, were all sophomores. And I think that's you know I, I when they had Chase Garbers and you had the stats seven and one uh, in games where he was healthy. He's a good young quarterback, and so Chris Brown is a big physical running back. Question with them is they lost some really good players on the back end of the defense. Mm-hmm. You know, Evan Weaver's gone. Um, Ashton Davis, who's a safety, who was hurt late in the year, but he's also gone. I think they'll get some of the cornerbacks. You know, have a chance to still be there and, and be be leaders of the team. Uh, but Justin Wilcox has done a very good job. I, I wouldn't put them much higher than where you have them, but I, I think they're a team just to, to keep an eye on because they they do really they're a smart, good physical football team and. Again, I don't think they're anywhere near close to being like a, a playoff contender, but I no. do think they're one of the better teams right now in the Pac-12, which may be also an indictment of the Pac-12 itself. And then finally, I noticed looking at some of the other early top 25s, I swear we do not like sit in the hospitality room together and here and, uh, and, and do groupthink, but we all UNC is quickly emerging as the trendy top 25 team for next season. Seven and six this year in Mac Brown's first season, but they lost like they had two overtime losses. I think every one of those six losses was by one score. Like, they could have very easily had a better record. And, of course, Sam Howell was the revelation as a freshman quarterback. In that conference where, I mean, that conference outside of Clemson was terrible this year, there's going to be an opportunity for somebody to rise up. Maybe that's Virginia Tech, who I know has a 
they I considered them. They have a ton of starters back. Maybe Florida State takes a big step in Mike Norvell's first season, but I just think there's a path there for UNC, given that um, not just Howell, the entire team was extremely young. They're actually going to bring back as many as 10 returning starters on offense, plus Chas Surratt's coming back. All right, so that's definitely some good stuff to look forward to. Uh, do you want to leave it right here with the podcast? Yeah, I think we're both running on fumes from a late night, and uh, you have to head to the airport. So I think we got to wrap it up for now. Uh, it's been a fun season. It's been a long season. I feel like I feel like that uh, LSU Texas game I went to was two years ago. Uh, at this point, I, I can imagine you know how you feel right now after all the games you did this year, sideline reporter. Um, but let's go back home. Let's regroup. Let's get some sleep. We do not retire the Audible in the offseason. We'll be right back with you with another episode next week and every week this offseason. We'll see you next time. If you enjoy the Audible, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review and a rating if you could, too. It helps us get the word out. Our producer is John Hayes. Our theme song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octaves download their music on spotify or apple music follow me on twitter at sl mandel follow bruce at bruce feldman cfb and if you're not yet a subscriber to the athletic what are you waiting for you can get 40 percent off an annual subscription by using this link theathletic.com slash the audible that's 40 percent off your subscription to the athletic hey.